Welcome back, everyone, to another FF Plus episode covering the Sundance Film Festival of 2023. I'm your host, Aaron White, and today for this episode with me is a guest who needs no introduction. He is Patrick Beatty from Patrick Beatty Reviews and See It or Skip It on ABC4 Utah. Patrick, thank you for joining me. Hey, Aaron. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad to have met you in person during Sundance 2023. You, my friend, were the king of that mountain. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Going to make me blush. I'm glad we're not on camera. Thank you, man. I Yeah, th- I got to admit, that has to be one of the best things about attending a festival. It was my first one in person and getting a chance to actually, you know, give each other a hug, shake each other's hands. Not just you, but a whole group of different critics who've interacted for many years even on Twitter and on social media. And we've done podcasts together and stuff. And it was so awesome to get a chance to like experience these movies and this whole vibe of what Sundance is together. So I agree. That was a blast. Well, I'm excited because you have actually picked a couple of movies that I'm not super high on. And I'm wanting to get your perspective on them (laughs) because maybe I missed something. And so far up until now, the the episodes (laughs) I've done. Yeah, they've, they've, I've done all these on ones that I just really, really liked. And this is a little bit, a little bit different for me. Before we get to the movies, I wanted to share more with the audience a little bit about you. Um, What is it that you do as far as film criticism goes and your job? Where can people find your work? All that good stuff. Yeah, well, thank you. I've been reviewing films for a little over eight years now, started on YouTube. And funny enough, the 2020 Sundance was kind of my big break and getting to do the coverage and, you know, hustling really hard to get as much as you can get, you know, whether that's you've got literally one question that you got from somebody or maybe you got to do a full press line and and have like tons of content to be able to give that propelled me into an opportunity with ABC4 Utah, where I did Friday Flicks on Good Things Utah for the past two years. And now you can catch me on ABC4's The Daily Dish, where I have my own weekly segment called See It or Skip It. Basically, we cut through the noise of just whether something is it has a five out of five or an A plus score, any of the rating system. At the end of the day, most people are just wanting to know, is it worth my money and is it worth my time? Should I see it or should I skip it? And so that's the premise of that. And so far, it's going really good. And it's just, it's really exciting to be on with you. That's awesome. I, I really respect that approach personally. I think even as someone who does assign ratings and I'm kind of obsessed with tracking stats that are, you know, mm. come along with your ratings on a letterbox. They're fine. I agree with you. But it, but it is, it really does boil down to your friends and your family who are only going to watch 15 new movies every year, maybe 20 if you count at home stuff on Netflix and mm-hmm. who may only go to a theater five times in 12 months. Like you really have to be a little more selective and to tell them truly like, it's this simple. Just Are you going to enjoy it or are you not going to enjoy it? Um, so I like that a lot. You said, you know, earlier we did get to meet each other in Sundance. So I know you were on the ground. Uh, you were in person. You just mentioned. Well, let's talk you... about how we how we met each other because that was hilarious <laughs> in itself. We were. I was walking in, getting in line to pick up our press credentials, and literally, I watched you walk out of the room and kind of like right next to you. And I don't know if I, you saw me first or if I. No. You might have spoken to me first, but I saw you coming from there, and I was like, "Ooh, that's Aaron. That's cool." And then 
the same exact thing happened the next day. I was just in line for something, and suddenly you and the great Colby were just right there. Hey, Patrick. <laughs> yes. I remember the Sundance rep was like, it's Patrick. And I was like, I don't know if you know me. You're just saying that. <laughs> yeah. Everybody in Sundance lines is awesome. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But I didn't recognize you. You had a mask on, and you were much shorter than I expected <laughs> and so shh, shh, hey, social up, media lies talk about that part that's the that's the facade man you can't tell people who's behind that <laughs> but no i didn't even notice and i, I was shocked because i was like whoa holy cow this is amazing um but that was really a neat way to kick things off for, for me as well mm-hmm. it was just nice to have that happen that was on a wednesday night too the festival didn't even start till thursday we were right. right at the opening of the press line together, getting our badges because we're mm-hmm. tryhards, I guess. Um, and got some really <laughs> great memories in in these screenings. Hopefully, we'll get to talk about some of them. Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that's kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you before we get to the movies was, how was your Sundance overall? What was your experience like on the ground? You said you started back in 2020. That was a COVID year, so... I'm guessing you did it virtually. It wasn't. It wasn't like COVID. COVID was on the cusp, right? Like we were mm-hmm. we were all checking and there was some stuff coming out about China having this illness and it really hadn't hit. Like it wasn't like it's in the United States now. We're about to lock down. That wasn't until like March or so. So January, it was just a lot of people say that is where some of the some of like COVID actually started was because people were coming internationally for Sundance. But the, honestly, the bigger the bigger thing, and I talked to you about this in line, was we were all at Sundance the same time that, um, oh, why, how am I already forgetting the name? The uh, NBA player that Kobe. passed away. No? On, yeah, Kobe, Kobe Bryant passed away. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it was it was during one of the uh, screenings. So everybody had their phones up and they saw what happened, saw the news report that had hit people way harder then there was reports of of COVID coming out. It was much more about Kobe Bryant. Wow. Yeah, I can't mm. even imagine that. Um, but as far so, as the work goes, like, I really hustled for that one. But then when those two online years came, I think mm-hmm. last year I had watched about 50 screenings. And the year before was probably around 30s, 40s. So I've been really pushing. And, and this was the first year where I had had a bout with COVID, uh, literally three weeks before, three, two weeks before. And I was still just like, I I did not have time to prep for it. I didn't have time to do a lot. So I really just leaned into just being with with critics, interacting with people, networking, doing some of these press lines and um, just like not, not giving myself pressure to be like, you got to knock out 30 because I knew the the quality of, would just deteriorate once I got like the 20s or so. So there, I still watch quite a few, but definitely not as strong as I was going before. Yeah, I will be interested to see how it evolves for me in the future because I did with it being my first year. I pushed super hard, and as I mean, you well, you should though. I know plenty of people who got into the fifties and sixties, but most of them were strictly watching at home the whole time and didn't go to the festival. Which I think kind of when you're in person, it definitely limits the amount of movies you can watch while you're there mm. because you've got to deal with these lines and you've got all these other conflicting opportunities like hanging out with your friends and going to a sports bar or going to a press mm. line or watching a panel and all of that. I still clocked in 
including the four or five shorts, I think right around 45 total. And I'm very content with that and also very exhausted. Of, oh, yeah. <laughs> of those like 20 or so or whatever that you ended up seeing, did anything stick out to you outside of the three that we're going to talk about? Uh, you know, we aren't going to be talking about still a Michael J. Fox film, which I think was incredible. Me personally having some experience with my stepdad having Parkinson's, it just was heartbreaking, but it was also um, heartfelt. Like you see the all of the lengths that Michael J. Fox had gone to just to stay positive for the better part of 30 years of this illness that maybe is impossible to face. You know, you're you're looking at the future and you really you can see where it's going and how do you stay positive through that so I, I found that fascinating a film called radical was incredible about the sixth grade students at the jose urbina lopez elementary school having the teacher uh, sergio juarez who is the same teacher from coda shout out for coda he was incredible in this it's a maybe you would call it a more formulaic like teacher inspires the students type story but man when those are done well they really stand out and i think that was one of them and then the one that really broke me more than anything was 20 days in mariupol i don't want to do talk too much about it just because even talking about it just messes me up but yeah the first 20 days of the ukraine war and the they don't shy away from anything so it's it's rough rough watch but a very good watch historical documentary yeah that one i watched Back to back with Beyond Utopia, another like oh. absolutely soul crushing documentary. And really? it was Saturday night, like the next to last night of the festival. And I was just done. I was like, this is insane. I can't keep going. Um, but but mm-hmm. 20 Days in Mariupol was my top documentary of the fest, just edging out yeah. still. <laughs> so you're picking like the two that, well, I take it back. That's not counting Stephen Curry, which was up there for me as well. Uh, but mm. um, yeah, 20 Days is just. It was unreal the way that this journalist and his team are embedded and they make the story not about them. It's real, I think, historically impactful documentary storytelling where they truly are just following what's happening and mm-hmm. trying to stand back and be as impartial observers as they possible as they can, but getting it on camera. And I was thinking to myself the whole time I was watching it, as hard as it is, because it does feature very real death and and very real child death um, that is hard to watch. But I'm grateful that we live in a time of technology where this can happen because when you can see it like this through their eyes of someone that's right there experiencing it, you kind of are unable to be swayed by lies anymore. And, you know, what's that famous quote? History is written by the victors. And to an extent, being able to have something like this, this video evidence of what took place kind of puts into perspective reality and mm. helps to fight off uh, someone who may try to spin it in a different way uh, later mm. down the road. So, yeah, it well was said. very tough. So speaking of dying, uh, we're going to jump into our th- wow. <laughs> three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't you dare cut we're- that. No, you dare. <laughs> I won't. You leave that in. I won't. I'll own it. <laughs> we're going to jump into the three movies we're going to discuss and review here, uh, the first of which is called Sometimes I Think About Dying from uh, the studio CAA. As of right now, this film does not have distribution yet. It stars Daisy Ridley, Dave Marej, Parvish China, Marsha DeBonis, Meg Stalter, and Brittany O'Grady. 
It is directed by Rachel Lambert. It is written by Kevin Armento, Stephanie Abel Horowitz, and Katie Wright Mead. It runs about 91 minutes. What's it about? Fran likes to think about dying. It brings sensation to her quiet life. When she makes the new guy at work laugh, it leads to more. A date, a slice of pie, a conversation, a spark. The only thing standing in their way is Fran herself. Now, I'll be honest. I don't have a lot to say about this one because, well, not a lot actually happens in this movie. One thing that it does is depict life working in a mundane office environment and the introvert struggle to connect with others very, very well. As a lifelong admin professional and a person who is largely head down when I'm at work, I can speak from experience and say that I could relate. The question for me is whether accuracy of the setting equals entertaining. And for me, it was mostly a no. For quite a while, the main character, that's Daisy Ridley's Fran, doesn't even speak. I want to say she goes maybe like 30 minutes before we hear words come out of her mouth. And while it nails the kind of vibe of people just having meetings and answering phones and shuffling papers around and ordering new supplies, etc., it's not very compelling to watch. Daisy Ridley does give a very patient and controlled performance that I think effectively shows us a person who is kind of unable to find joy in her day-to-day life and unable to find any joy in those around her. It's really a dialed-down piece of work since she has practically no personality to speak of. And again, it feels accurate, but it just was kind of boring. Dave Merej enters as the new co-worker and sort of love interest who she strikes up this sweet friendship with. He has a love of movies. That's something I really enjoy in pretty much any film because it connects me with characters right away. I can share that passion. And he uses that and his charm to kind of attempt to break her out of her shell over a series of dates. And their growing interactions are what I liked the most, but I still felt like it was largely kind of full of empty calories by the time it ended. And unfortunately, this is what I would say is a short film concept with maybe 45 minutes of really strong story that kind of gets stretched to about double that. It is based off of a much shorter short film, uh, I don't know, around 10 minutes or so long. So I understand expanding that but it did feel like it went on a little bit more than I needed it to. I do also like the, what I would call artful depictions and presentations of the titular visions, because what happens here is, you know, Daisy Ridley is thinking about dying often. She's just lost in her head. And and so instead of watching these sequences play out in like a very campy way where it shows her, I don't know, walking off of a mountain to her death. It just kind of gives you like a still framed. I mean, it really, truly, it looks like a painting. Um, And I thought that they were really interesting the way that they did those. And the characters do have some sweet moments together uh, that I found really delightful. But overall, it just felt a little too dull for me to be able to widely recommend. That being said, (laughs) I think 
Patrick may have had a slightly better experience with this for me. And so I'm curious how his reading of this was. Um, am I way off base? And <laughs> are you ready to like just shake your head and finger point at me? No, in fact, no, I would, I was just picturing, you know, me dead somewhere and just, you know, blissfully moving. On. Oh gosh. I think, <laughs> gotcha. I, I think you are apt in your description of it being a slow paced thing. I think back in 20, oh, I can't remember if it was 2021. It was a show with, uh, I believe it's julie gardner the assistant do you remember that film i do it was really harrowing one about sexual harassment right but the way that they depict like the office boredom the mundane every every like just going and getting coffee walking back and forth i could not stand that like it it was i i was in the same camp that you are for that film but i think the difference between the two that made me more drawn to sometimes to think about dying is in the sense that maybe maybe all these characters seemed more realistic in the assistant you have those those secretaries and the other people that are associated with the main character that just are kind of like the sweet bros and stuff and it's in a situation that's really insane you know that they're they're being a part of that with this everything is kind of scaled down and put into just an office, just any office. And it's not necessarily about what the power dynamics are and, and how people are abusing power, but it's about how coworkers interact with each other and how a social, a socially inept person just can't connect with other people. Me, me personally, before doing, well, actually during most of my film review career, I've been in customer service jobs. I've worked for Apple. I've worked for Netflix customer service, even Subhub. And it all kind of is is the same when you think about it. When you go in there, your your middle management team is always the same. They're always going to have way too many meetings. And those meetings will include finding out what your favorite food is and introducing a new person in the most cringiest way possible. And the awkwardness of just, we're all actually here to work, but we're going to try to have fun too. And like that dynamic of trying to connect with people, but also not really knowing how. I thought that was fascinating. Um, uh, there are some really great side characters. I think Parvish Chino was hilarious in it. He was definitely like the yes. MVP as far as the comedic timing and stuff. There's a murder mystery scene that I thought was incredible. I, I think, again, it's a kind of rain and a drought where most of it is very drab and a little bit slower but when you see daisy ridley's character start to just open up a little bit you root for her so much in this to to just have any type of connection to me that's where i feel the film succeeds because at the end of the day you are rooting for these characters whether or not they actually get to that point where you feel like they're going to be going off into the sunset i don't necessarily agree if we would be getting to that point i think it's a lot more of a i guess a we'll wait and see what happens kind of like once where maybe they don't end up together right at the end but they're at a starting point you know but that's my thoughts i think that the the beauty of these kind of films is that people can go in and get completely different experiences were you seeing this one in the theater or online i saw this one at home i think okay yes and you see was, that right there. I, I saw it in the theater. So it could very well be yeah. the communal experience helped enhance those moments of the drab because some of those were funny. Yeah, I agree. I love that you pointed out the murder mystery party because I actually referenced it the other day. My daughter 
just this past mm. weekend, went to a murder mystery party, her first ever one at college. And she was explaining mm. it back to me. And I was like, oh, that reminds me of this movie I just saw where this girl did blah, 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 blah. And you're right. I think it does highlight those moments where someone truly does, like an introvert has a spark and you can see it and you can feel that they are sort of wanting to kind of burst out of that, that, that is still uncomfortable for them either. and they don't know how. Yeah, that that social anxiety, it comes from uh, Dave uh, Marej as well, because he's not necessarily, you know, an introvert. I would consider him an introverted extrovert where he's he's really he's really pushing. He wants to connect with people, but he seems to really not. He doesn't connect in the right way. You know what I mean? When they talk about his relationship history that kind of leans credibility to, well, this guy tries to connect, but he's doing it in all the wrong ways and hasn't seemed to figure it out quite yet. Daisy Ridley is the same, but on the other side of that coin. And I thought that was really fascinating to have them explore their relationship together. Yeah, I agree. I thought that they worked well together as a pair, for sure, mm -hmm. the way the characters are created and the, and the performances. I mean, there are some moments genuinely in there where you're like, this is really, really sweet. And I hope this goes well, <laughs> especially mm -hmm. when she's making fun of the movies he likes. I, I just I thought that, mm -hmm. that was quite because she's very blunt and to the point. She doesn't you know, she has some social awkwardness to her even when she does speak up. So that mm -hmm. was funny as well. But you, I think you're right, too. Like I watched it at home and had I watched this in a theater, I would have had no distractions and I would have been forced to. 100% fully give it to my attention. And this is always a problem when you watch any sort of movie at home is there's mm -hmm. just too many other things that can take your attention. Even if it's just drifting away from the screen to look at the dog chasing the cat, you know, or right. I'm just going to go use the bathroom and maybe I won't pause, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that definitely has an effect for sure. I like the name um, Fran though. That was hilarious. Let's I give, too, let's yeah. give Daisy Ridley Fran. <laughs> yeah she she does a good job i'm excited for her to eventually i hope get some more leading roles and maybe break and she out has of a this film that she's exact producing and i believe she'll be starring in too so look out for that okay okay good i hope so well the next film is called the pod generation from a studio called mk2 so many of these never heard of Hmm. Also has not gotten distribution yet. It stars Amelia Clark, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Rosalie Craig, Vinette Robinson, and Jean-Marc Barr. And it is written and directed by Sophie Barths and runs about 109 minutes. What's it about? Set in a near future where AI is all the rage and nature is becoming a distant memory, Rachel and Alvi are a New York couple ready to take their relationship to the next level and start a family. So plenty of science fiction stories have taken aim at the human race's growing reliance on and obsession with technology. But the pod generation is like a satire. And like a lot of satires for me personally, it works, but with mixed results. At the center of it is Rachel, this character played by Amelia Clark, who is an AI developer and is climbing the corporate ladder and bringing home the majority of the family's income while her nature-loving botanist and somewhat technology-averse husband, Alvi, that's NGO4, maintains an in-home greenery, and he tries to convince his 
biology class students that real things still matter in a world where they are much more worried about convenience and recreation of things than they are trying to grow them for real. Um, Rachel and Alvy ultimately end up deciding to have a baby through this future world's new pod system. And the way it works is large, large sums of money get paid in order to have conception and gestation of a child take place inside of this artificial womb, aka pod or egg. And then everything from feeding the baby to playing it music all takes place via an app on like an iPad or your cell phone. I really enjoyed that and the future tech ideas in this movie and how they poked fun at the ways in which we might distance ourselves from the closeness of raising a child. And I thought that the dynamic between Clark and Edgy 4 worked really well, especially because at some point in the film, they kind of switch roles and they swap perspectives on how they're viewing this impending pregnancy. Uh, as for some of the depiction of motherhood in the movie, uh, director writer Sophie Barth said during the Q&A that some of the film actually came from her own crazy nightmares during pregnancy. And I think that that shows through in the script because it's extremely thorough in capturing as many different potential experiences that a couple can have uh, while you know, going through the pregnancy process as possible. The film tries to balance comedy and drama, but I don't think it does so very well. <laughs> I'm trying to say it nicely. There are stretches where the story starts to feel really repetitive and even drawn out. I think the movie is far too long. And while there's a lot to laugh at, like how the world uses these gigantic AI eyeball devices to do everything from pick out their clothes that they wear to serving as literal therapists instead of humans, the commentary kind of felt really surface level to me. And it was pointing out things and laughing at them rather than trying to examine them on a deeper level that might result in some sort of revelation of some kind. Um, the ending, we see the couple eventually make some choices, and I personally felt like there would have been more serious consequences for what they chose to do. Uh, and so it felt a little bit like an abrupt letdown for me. And so the highlights for me, however not counting staring at the back of Amelia Clark's head for two hours because she sat directly in front of me and let me tell you, in the moment, <laughs> that definitely heightened my experience. But Edgio Ford's performance was a humongous standout. His character's initial reluctance to the idea of the pregnancy and eventual change of heart was really played with great dramatic nuance and also incredible comedic timing. We don't really think of Edgio for that much as a comedy co guy, but man, he knows how to deliver a line. Uh, there's some definitely interesting ideas here and depictions of what it might be like to live in a world consumed by artificial convenience, but I don't think that it's anything hard sci-fi enough to make you think of it very long uh, beyond the parking lot, honestly. So it's a fun movie, uh, and it's fine, but it was nothing mind-blowing for me. What about you? Well, geez, man, we're on the other side again for this. Pod generation is what if Comcast controlled your baby and had your baby <laughs> I and like you that. forgot to return the router. That's a great. 
more than that, I, I do think there's a little bit more layers to it than we're giving it credit for here. I do think on the surface level, it's definitely like um, artificial nature versus like n- from your from the mother natural like nurturing of a child and what that does. But more so, I think it's the corporate takeover and kind of like almost branding themselves as as positive for feminism and putting women first, but at the same time shackling them, especially in this film when it comes to uh, how this company, because it's not Amelia Clark's initial uh, want to have this. Sure, she's been looking into maybe getting what they call a pod to be able to house a baby, but this, this gets sprung by the company that she's working for who offers her a promotion. The only way for her to get that promotion is for her to do a pod rather than having a natural birth like Chewetology of Four is has been wanting. He's a botanist, so he's always going with nature. He's he's doing things with, with trees. He's teaching classes and trying to like, look at this apple. And they're like, did you eat that from a tree? And it's like, yeah, you crazy, which is fun. I, I loved seeing like, his his switch up for it. But more than anything, the gender roles are switched in this where we see what can a man that could actually sling a baby around his stomach, what could that do for him? What could that do for his bonding with the child? Maybe if he's stay at home dad, how that bonding works, which is something that happens now, even with gay couples, with them looking to have adoptions. There's so many different ways to have a kid nowadays that it was fascinating to see a company wanting to have a kid in a weird way. It's like, what if a company could make make it happen for you, but they still have copyright material and like you still have to go by the same rules of if you like buy a movie off iTunes where <laughs> it's like, well, you don't technically yeah. own the movie and you don't technically own the baby. I thought that was pretty fascinating to your to your credit, though. Maybe the conversations and the dialogue doesn't dig deep enough. And so it does feel a little bit more surface level when it comes to the two main characters and how they're going down this road but in the end i wasn't super disappointed with where it left off i could assume that things were going to probably go bad for them for a little bit if anything just crazy return fees you know they're not blockbuster they're gonna (laughs) they're gonna mess you up with those return fees and late fees and it comes back damaged you know (laughs) god help you yeah yeah i don't think it was again not not as bad but i can see your points as well do you i'm gonna ask you for your see it or skip it recommendation on this one like do you see this being something that like a general audiences would enjoy in a theater or on netflix or not at all what do you think well i mean if we're gonna go to if we're gonna are we going to twitter in the fake film verse or the real people no real people (laughs) like your friends and family (laughs) you know i think they'll find it interesting if it were put okay uh, here's the thing i don't think it's a theatrical one if it's in theaters i'd say skip it because i don't think the people are going to go to a theater for it but if it's like one of those voodoo exclusives or they're putting it up on Prime Video for nine ninety nine to rent, I'd say it's worth it. Yeah, I would say that I think people will get something out of it, too. I think the production design, I don't even know if I really mentioned it strongly enough, beautiful. but the production design is, is beautiful. Yeah, it's it's very crisp. Um, it's really neat looking. And I can't explain the eye that I tried to talk about, the, the, the AI eye. Like eyeball, mm. I can't really tell you what it looks like, but it is one of the most 
just unnerving and also <laughs> hilarious things in the entire movie because constantly you see mm. them. You see small ones and then you see giant ones and they blink. And every time they blink, mm. the sound design in this movie is fantastic. Every time <laughs> they blink, it's like, clink. I don't know. I can't. That's a terrible noise. sound. But it's like that wet. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so <laughs> creepy, but also like feels like a natural evolution of Alexa, you know, at the same mm. time. We, you could really believe that we would get to this point, which is kind of scary. <laughs> so, you know, I, I would say then the writing of this, because Sophie Barth did both. I think the writing might be a little bit weaker, but the directing is on point. I think this is a very Good well directed film. Yeah, I can get behind that for sure. Well, the third and final movie we're going to discuss, I know for a fact we align on. So that's why yeah. we put it here at the end. And uh, this is Flora and Son, which has been picked up by Apple TV and will get a theatrical release, I believe. No, no, this is leftover notes from something else. It, that it is should, on though. My notes. I hope that it gets a theatrical release. But I Apple believe TV, they were, I was hearing July is when we should be seeing it. Okay. Well, I hope so, for sure. Uh, did he from get From the picked? director, I, I think, think I heard. Picked. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good person to hear it from. <laughs> Speaking of him, so anyway, this the movie stars Eve Hewson, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Oren Kinlan, and Jack Rayner, and it is written and directed by John Carney. The runtime is 94 minutes. What's it about? Single mom Flora is at war with her teenage son, petty thief Max. Encouraged by the police to find Max a hobby, she rescues a beat-up guitar from a dumpster and finds that one person's trash can be a family's salvation. My review... I met John Carney, so five out of five. No notes. Um, <laughs> that's the end of the show, everybody. Yep, that's it. Uh, no, I did accidentally bump into John Carney, and it was incredible. I was actually trying to find Patrick, uh, coincidentally, and I walked into the press line. I don't know why they let me in, because I wasn't supposed to be there at the time, but I guess I looked like I belonged, and turned around, and there was John Carney. I got to say hello. He said hello back, and made my day. But... Honestly, I'll try not to let that influence my review. I, John Carney has made a living off of crafting emotionally resonant and comedic and very romantic pictures that revolve around characters' love of music. And Flora and Son is no different. Wouldn't want it to be any different. But it is the first time that he has centered a story around a family in this way, and he, the first time he set his movie in modern Dublin as well. Flora is this single mother of this teenage delinquent played by Max. Very good performance by Oren Kinlan. I believe it was his debut, and he really impressed me. And she's trying to move on from her ex-husband, Ian, played by Jack Rayner, just in a very, very funny role for him. She does small-time jobs like babysitting, and she isn't above stealing a few bucks here and there, or as mentioned in the synopsis, dumpster diving to find the right birthday present. She genuinely wants to be a good parent, though, and Max makes it really hard on her by constantly getting himself arrested for theft and by lashing out at her extremely disrespectfully. To the point where, when I was watching some of these scenes early in the movie, I, I just wanted to punch this kid. Like, how dare you talk to your mother this way, young man? Um, eventually, she decides to learn the guitar herself and ends up meeting Jeff, who played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is this L.A.-based virtual guitar teacher. 
and they begin to form a relationship that slowly brightens her life in more ways than one. The film has some wonderful songs, but they're more the kind of song that I would say fits perfectly in the film for story reasons than they are the kind of songs that I expect I would be playing on repeat while commuting to work. For comparison's sake, Sing Street's soundtrack I can listen to on repeat just endlessly without any issues. This is not that kind of soundtrack for me. The finale song is really, really good. Some of them are a little bit cut short during the movie itself, but they fit well. But it's just not the kind of soundtrack that you might quite be expecting from a Carney film. But again, they're all enjoyable. They're all moving and or fun. Um, Ultimately, I think that this movie feels like a celebration of messy mothers who are broken but still hopeful to raise a strong family and also a little bit of a celebration of romantic dreamers. It offers uh, an optimistic view on how we can still genuinely connect through screens. That was something that John Carney specifically mentioned was a, an intent for him when writing this one. Kind of plays out through that relationship between Eve and Jeff uh, over their Zoom guitar sessions. And Eve Houston is a total revelation. For me, I had not had any exposure to her whatsoever, but my goodness, I thought she was just phenomenal, um, both as an actress um, and and her voice as well uh, as a singer. Gordon Levitt, it's just nice to see him back on camera. He oozes charm, as you would expect. Jack Rayner, as I mentioned, a total hoot. And Kinlan holds his own playing against all these veteran adult actors. It's a huge crowd pleaser. It ends by making your heart just pump up and your smile gets so big that your face cracks. And it's exactly what I wanted out of a John Carney movie. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) John Carney's awesome, man. I love Sing Street. I listen to that soundtrack all the time. Once was a huge part of my high school, especially Falling Slowly. You play that song and that's how you got your date. That's what I would do. That probably would take away my cool card now because I'd just be that white dude with the guitar that nobody likes that shows up to parties <laughs> unannounced. But back then, it was cool. It, it worked out for for little St. George me. But the thing that, that you p- pointed out was that this is definitely a different musical tone than Sing Street. It's not necessarily we're starting a band. It's a mom wanting to kind of triumph uh, for herself, to like give herself a win when she has this ex- kind of that that's kind of telling her that she's a uh, she's f up she's got her son that's telling her that she's not doing anything right all she's trying to do is is get him out of trouble but in doing that she was able to find trouble herself with you know in interacting with joseph gordon levitt and starting an online romance and i i do think that that was done excellently i i thought their chemistry was incredible i loved the way john carney was able to take the camera perspective from you watching them and his own conversation and then whip that camera around and suddenly he's there in real life and seeing all of those really beautiful and touching moments that's what showed really how that virtual experience can feel like they're right there with you and that was really beautiful it's not it's not central to the music though the characters are the center in this and then the music comes secondhand from there. In fact, there's a song. It's probably only three or four songs for the entire. It would have to be an LP if it's if they're going to put out an album, or there would just be a ton of other 
random songs that we don't know yet. But yeah, I would say the only thing that it was pointed out to me later by an, a fellow critic, and he had mentioned that it just doesn't feel completely finished. And the more I thought about that, the more I was like, well, it ends abruptly, sure. And then the credits come in. And by the way, it's these are kind of like one of those Marvel films where you're like, stay for the credits because it's going to be worth it. You get another song, the song that you've been you know, wanting to hear for for the whole duration. And it's wonderful. But it's it feels like there should have been more like there should have been maybe a good 20 more minutes of of scenes that just don't exist or maybe it was cut out. But I hope that they end up doing an extended cut. And that would be amazing to watch. But otherwise, I still think this is a strong one. Have, have you seen Begin Again yet? Oh, oh, yeah. I've seen the major three films prior okay. to this, for sure. I would and probably equate this a little bit to Begin Again more than um, Sing Street or Once. So mm-hmm. it would probably go Begin Again, Floor and Sun, Once, then Sing Street for me. With Sing Street being at the top, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think... That's how I would rank them as well. I mm-hmm. think maybe that is how I did rank them in my letterbox. So we're on the same page. And and ultimately, like John Carney, if you're someone that connects with his type of storytelling, his mm. absolute joy and love for music and for people and messy people and messy mm-hmm. romances, like the ceiling for a John, or the, sorry, the floor for a John Carney movie is like really high. Right. right. Like it's it's, an it's almost always going to be good no matter what. It's just a matter of like we're com- you know, we're comparing greatness versus goodness, I guess. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I I think people are going to love this movie and it plays and moves really fast. I think what you were saying is spot on, though, especially with regards to the romance. It feels a little undercooked. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe there's a bit of confusion. He's trying to do two things at once. He's trying to kind of give her a little bit of a a confidence boost as a person coming off of this broken relationship with her ex-husband and wants that character to experience this romantic kind of interlude in her life. But he's far away, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's this more pressing issue of her romance essentially with her son, her love story with her son of trying to grow in that relationship and and make it you know a more mature one and respectful one and so it's it's a tough thing to marry both of those competing interests in someone life someone's life and so i think the romance side does get a little bit lesser attention uh, than the familial mm-hmm. story which you know i would have watched more <laughs> so i'm i'm on, i'm down yeah. if they want to do an extended cut for sure sure <laughs> not going to hurt my feelings and put some more songs in there too you got time mm-hmm. now. Go write them. We were at the world premiere for this one. Freaking awesome. Good time. Um, got to see the cast come up on stage for a Q&A afterwards. And the young man, Oren Kinlan, who plays the son in this, there's a song that he creates in the musical and he sang it uh, for mm-hmm. <laughs> lack of specificity. I don't want to give it all away, but he performed it live for us. Give it all Q&A. away. You, we recorded it. Tell them where to watch it. Oh, on your thing. that's a good, <laughs> yeah, it's on my YouTube. Oh, I don't know. I'm not good at this. Yeah, that's true. It is on my YouTube. Uh, or did you, you recorded it. This yeah, is the one but, you recorded. You know, and I said, give show. it to me. Yeah. You got to pitch it to okay. you. <laughs> yeah. So Patrick was kind enough to record this because he's very smart and folks throughout the whole Festival, I was relying on Patrick and I was learning a lot from him, thankfully, about how to be ready. This man would be like, 
there's George Joseph Gordon Levitt. Boom, pop. And like he would he would be able to get the best photos in a second's notice. And he has great face recognition, which I do not. So, mm. you know, Joseph Gordon Levitt's in a mask. It, it takes me a while to I figure out who the I saw those eyes squint. He's yeah. got that. He's got those, you know, the, You're amazing. the iconic squinty eye smile that's just like, oh, yep, yeah, that's him. Well, you grew up watching yeah. him for forever, too. 500 Days of Summer was like, uh, it's oh. problematic now, but back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like me okay. singing on the guitar. It's problematic now, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lauren's son will bring back playing the guitar in random spots again. I hope so. But yeah, like Patrick was saying, on our YouTube, Feeling Films YouTube page, you can see the whole 17-minute Q&A with the awesome performance to end it all. And John Car- Carney's just completely infectious energy. It's impossible not to fall in love with that man. He is such a great human being, I think. Well, with that said, thank you for being here, Patrick. Thanks for talking through these with me. I appreciate it. Please tell everybody where they can find your stuff on the web and or on TV if they are in Utah. Absolutely. Well, hey, whether you're in Utah or not, go to abc4.com, go to shows and click on Daily Dish. You'll be able to see my segments as they come up every Ah. Friday, 1230 uh, maybe a little bit later in the day when they get that uploaded. If not, it'll be on my YouTube. So either abc4.com or patrickbatyreviews.com. Either way, we we update that regularly. And thank you again so much for having me, Aaron. And I look forward to being on more to talk more and have you on my side as well. Awesome. I will definitely be looking forward to that. Folks, this is not the last episode. There are still more to come. So be looking out for more Sundance recaps. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling film.